good morning. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Exodus chapter 3, looking at verses 13 to 22 today. I want to say a quick thank you to uh, the Miracles. Where's the Miracles? I think they may still be out there for uh, just helping get everything ready for Mercy Kids to relaunch today with our preschoolers, and uh, we will miss their energy in here, but uh, they uh, will get some of their energy out, so maybe they take a good nap this afternoon. I don't know. We'll see. I hope. Please. All right. So we are diving back into Exodus. We've been walking through Exodus for a little while now, and we are in uh, chapter 3. We're going to finish up chapter 3 today. Last week, Moses encountered God at Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai, the, the burning bush. Everybody knows that story. Even if you weren't raised in church, you've probably heard that story before. And so God commissioned Moses to go back to Egypt and tell Pharaoh, all right, let my people go, right? And so Moses understandably questions God in this moment. Uh, I can imagine being in Moses' shoes and just thinking, oh my goodness, are you serious? You want me to go to the most powerful nation in the world where they don't really like me there. I don't know if you know this, God, but last time I was there, it didn't end well. We, we kind of had this split. I, I killed a guy. They don't like me there. And you want me to go to the most powerful man in the, in the whole world and, and tell him, demand that he let go his free labor. Really? Who am I to do that, he says. Who am I, Moses says, to do this? And, and God's answer to Moses is amazing. He basically gives them six words. that it, it, These six words are both profound and life-changing for Moses. He says, but I will be with you. But I will be with you. You need not worry about Pharaoh, his wrath, his army, because I will be with you. Today's passage, God's going to kind of flesh that out for Moses and for us. What does it mean that God is with you? And so as we read this passage, I want you to pay close attention to all the benefits that God gives to Moses to help accomplish the mission that he's sending him on. So let's pray one more time, and then we'll dive into this passage. Father, would you open up our eyes to see your wonders, to see your glory. Help us to marvel at who you are and what it means that you are a personal God that is, is with us. I pray that you would help us to, to trust in your protection and to trust in your promises and to trust in your provision. Thank you for your word. Help me to speak truth. Protect me from speaking any kind of error. Help us to understand what you intended us to know from your original author here, Moses, that you inspired And help us to apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So we pick up here in verse 13. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. 
God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of the Israelites together and and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob has appeared to me saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hevitites, I can't pronounce these things, the Jebusites, to a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice, and you and the elders of, the Israel, of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us, and now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing, you shall put them on your sons and on your daughters. So you shall plunder the Egyptians. So this is the outline of this passage, the outline that we're going to be walking through. And we're going to be wrestling with this question, okay, what are the benefits of God being with us? And this is what we see in this passage. And then there's probably more benefits than what we're going to highlight today, but these, uh, these are important. So these are the significant ones that, that I want to focus in on today. Number one, we see the benefit of him giving us his name to remember. Secondly, his watch care to rest in. And I'll explain what I mean by that. Third, his promise to hope in. His promises to hope in. Fourth, his power to rely on. And then finally, his provision to marvel at. Let's start with his name to remember. So God being with us means that we get to know his name. God is a personal God. He, he wants a relationship with us. I, I remember still in college, the day that I, I first heard that Christianity is not about a religion, it's about a relationship. God used that to change my life. The first time I ever thought about God in that way. But he gives us his, his name. That's significant. Our passage today starts with Moses asking this question of God. Okay, so if I go back and they ask me who you are, what's your name, what, what do I say to them? And so why would Moses ask that? Why would Moses ask that? Evidently, God telling him that, okay, I'm going to be with you just wasn't enough. He, he, he thought that, okay, well, perhaps these people are not going to believe that I'm actually being sent from God, and so I need to give them something more. What can I give them, God? So his name was something significant that he could give them. Because back then, a name meant a whole lot more than it means to us today. Back then, your name was a description of your character and your destiny. And so, for example, Adam names his wife Eve because she is the mother of the living. 
God changes Abram's name to Abraham to show that he would be made the father of many nations. Jacob, his name is changed to Israel because he wrestled with God and he lived. And when the Son of God came to the world, his name was not left to chance. An angel comes and tells Joseph and Mary, you shall call his name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. And so when God gives us his name, we ought to pay attention because he's saying something significant to us. In fact, this is the most important name of God in all of the Old Testament. Okay, this is the most significant, this is the most important. In fact, this name is used 6,828 times in the Old Testament, more than any other one, by far more than any other name. And it's interesting, in our English translations, we, we translate it kind of weird because we almost give it a title rather than a proper name, which is, it's actually his proper name. But we, when, in your Old Testament, whenever you see the word Lord, but it's in all capital letters, this is the name that's behind that. Uh, and we do that, one, because we don't even actually know how to pronounce it. The, the Jews looked at this name, and they were so, wanted to be so reverent, they, they would never pronounce it out loud. In fact, when they came to a, a reading and they saw this, and it's in Hebrew, it's just four letters. It's Y-H-Y or W-H. And we think it might be pronounced Yahweh, but when they would come to that word, instead of saying Yahweh, they would say Adonai, which is another name for Lord. In fact, the word Jehovah, you've probably heard that word before, it's a combination of the consonants in Yahweh and the vowels in Adonai, and they just kind of smash them together and come up with Jehovah. So that's where that comes from. So God answers Moses' question, okay, what, what should I call you? What's your name? And he says, I am who I am. That's his response. I am who I am. And so he goes on to say, when you go to the people of Israel, just tell them, I am sent you. And then go on to tell them that this is my name forever and you are to remember this name throughout all the generations. And so again, Yahweh is not a title of God. It's his proper name. This is what he calls himself. And so what do, what do we learn from this? Okay, what, what does this tell us about God? Well, I think a lot. I think first of all, it tells us that God is self-existent. Okay, he, he doesn't depend on anybody else. He needs nobody else. If you ask God where he's from or who he came from, you just say, uh, no one. I, I am who I am. Okay, I didn't come from anyone. I, I, I didn't come from anywhere. I am who I am. Uh, secondly, I think it teaches us that God never changes. He's eternal. God, God's character doesn't fluctuate. He doesn't mature over time. He doesn't change. If you ask God how old he is, he would just say, I am. I am who I am. And then third, I think this might be the most important. I think this teaches us that God cannot be easily categorized. In fact, some argue that he responds to Moses in, in such a way. When, he, when Moses says, okay, what's your name? He responds by saying, look, there is no one name that I could tell you that fully describes my character or my destiny. I can't be, you cannot define me that easily. I am just who I am. You can't put me in a box. I think it's super significant. In the New Testament, Jesus refers to himself as I am. In fact, there's a couple times, of course, there's this, 
this moment when he's about to be arrested, right? And they, they come up to him and they ask him, okay, are you Jesus of Nazareth? And he just simply says, I am. And what happens? They all fall down. They all fall down. There's like this little power, this little trickle of deity trickles out of him and they, they just, they can't even stand it. They all fall down. The second time that in the New Testament where Jesus, this is in uh, John chapter 8, and Jesus is answering some Jews critic, Jewish critics, and he, he says, your father Abraham rejoiced that he was to see my day. He saw it and he was glad. That's an interesting statement in, in itself, and I, I think he's probably referring to the transfiguration where Jesus on the mount saw, was able to spend time with Abraham and Moses. Um, he goes on to say, the Jews then said to him, are you not yet 50 years old, and, and have you seen Abraham? And Jesus' response, I love this, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. And so he was either using bad grammar there, or he was saying something very significant. Okay, Before Abraham was, thousands of years ago, I am. We should never get tired of dwelling on and marveling at the reality that the great I am humbled himself to die on a cross to pay for our rebellion so that we could spend eternity with him. 10,000 years into the future, we will still be singing about this. We see in this text here that God expects us to remember this name and to teach it to our children and to our grandchildren. Psalm 9, verse 10, and those who know your name put their trust in you. It is important we teach the name of God to our children and help them trust in him. The first benefit of God's presence, the first benefit of him being with us is that we get to know his name. We get to know him personally, have a relationship with him. We get to fellowship with him. We get to talk to him by name, and he knows us by name too. No other religion has that. That's amazing. We should marvel at that. There's a second benefit of God being with us, and it's that he gives us his watch care so that we can rest in that. Okay, what do I mean by that? That term watch care is actually an old church term that was used uh, often and still used sometimes today for uh, like a temporary membership situation. Okay, so for example, still today there are some churches that have meaningful membership like us and if there's a college student that goes off to college, they will call, they have a watch care program. And so they still remain officially members at their home church, but they, uh, they recognize that there's a church that this college student is going to next to their school that is watching for, over them and, and caring for them. It's, it's a watch care program. And so we see in this passage the Israelites were under the watchful and caring eye of God. Repeatedly, God has said that he has heard their cries and he's seen their affliction. If you remember back at the end of chapter 2, God saw the people of Israel and he knew, God knew. And then here in chapter 3, verse 7, I have surely seen the afflictions of my people who are in Egypt. Again in verse 9, I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. And then our passage today, of course, verse 16, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. 
And it's interesting, the word seen in those verses, in the original language, it's, it's jar. I think that's how you pronounce it. And it implies a seeing that leads to action. It's a seeing that leads to a compassion that, that, that God's going to do something about this. In fact, it can also be translated, that same word can be translated as to provide. For example, back when Abraham was about to sacrifice his own son Isaac, and God says, stop, and what does he do? He provides a ram to substitute for the sacrifice, okay? And Abraham calls that place what? God who provides. It's what we, we get the name Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides from that name. And so when God sees us, it's not just that he's seeing us from afar. He's not this God who's apathetic and and just kind of observing us from a distance. He watches over us. He's watching over the Israelites, and he cares for them. Psalm 121, verse 4, Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. I know I've talked to several people who have stayed with uh, Mark 12 in the the shelters, and and one of the the common threads that I hear from them is they're, they're very thankful for the volunteers who are willing to stay up at night and watch over them because they feel safer. They feel like they can rest because of that. Likewise, because God does not rest and He is constantly watching over us, that means we can rest. We can have a peace because we know that He's there to protect us and to guide us. Third benefit of God being with us is that He gives us His promises to hope in. Now, notice in this text that God tells Moses to remind the elders of his promises. Verse 17, he says, And I promise, tell them that I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hevitites, I don't know how to pronounce that word, the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. Okay, so this is not a new promise, is it? We've heard this already In Exodus, this is actually the same promise that was given to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. This is a promise that God keeps reaffirming to them. And he he casts this vision here of what the promised land is going to be like, right? He describes the land as flowing with milk and honey. Now, we don't use that phrase still today, but back then that was kind of slang for describing a place that was fruitful and rich and satisfying, a place that would had this unmatched beauty. It, it, it's a place that those who live there lack nothing. And reminding the Israelites of the beauty of this future place that they're going to be at was, and God knew the power of that because he knew that that's what was going to help them get through the difficult days ahead. There's power in knowing and believing in a future hope that's that's beautiful and that's, that's glorious. God often comfort, comforts his people by casting a vision of future hope. You think about the New Testament, we see this. Jesus did this with his disciples, right? John chapter 14, he's about to depart and he says, he's trying to comfort his disciples because he's about to leave them. And what does he say to them? He says, look, I'm going to prepare a place for you in my father's house. My father's house has many rooms and so this is a mansion. I'm going to prepare a place for you and you know what? I'm going to come back for you. And then he says, in the meantime, I'm going to send the helper, the Holy Spirit, my spirit to comfort you and to help you. So Jesus understood the power of casting a vision of future hope in the Bible. What does it end with? 
It ends with a picture of the new Jerusalem, the new heavens, the new earth, glass, uh, glass and gold streets and, and no more sin and no more shame, no more death. Every tear wiped away. <coughs> Excuse me. One of the distinctions of being a Christian is that we have this, this joyful hope of a future that is beautiful and glorious beyond our imaginations. And there are, there's times where things may seem hopeless, but as we embrace the gospel more and more, even in difficult times, we can still find hope. The Apostle Peter, I think, embraced this maybe more than a lot of the, the disciples. Um, his, his letters, it was obvious that he was writing to a group of Christians that were being heavily persecuted, going through suffering, going through pain, and Peter encourages them. How? by reminding them of the glory that awaits them when Christ returns. He kept pointing them to the future and said, look, this will not last forever. He said, there'll be a day where, where God will come back and make everything right. And in fact, Peter expected the believers to be so hopeful about the future that in the midst of their trials, he, he believed that that hope would pour over out of them and other people would visibly be able to see their hope. And so in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, he says, Always be prepared. Why? To make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. So they, they could visibly see the hope. Now, how does that even happen? Well, it doesn't, we don't typically, you're not going to see somebody's hope unless they're going through a trial, right? If everything is good and you don't typically see their hope. But if they're going through a trial, if they're going through hard times, if they're being persecuted and yet they still have a joy that surpasses all understanding. You start to see their hope. If they're faithful in the midst of the trials, you see their hope. So Peter anticipated that believers would be shockingly hopeful in the midst of their trials. So people would, ex they would see that. He expected them to have this joyful fearlessness that others would notice. And we need to pray that God would give us that radical kind of hope, that fearlessness, that, that, that people would ask about our hope. When's the last time somebody asked you about your hope that you had in Christ? When God is with us, He brings with Him this amazing promise of a future blessing that is beyond our imagination. Next, benefit of God being with us is that he gives us his power to rely on. Moses was warned ahead of time by God that Pharaoh, his initial response would be, of course, no, I'm not letting them go. I'm not letting your people go. And God says to Moses, look, the king, the king of Egypt, he's not going to let you go unless he's compelled by a mighty hand. And then he says, I want you to gather a big army together, right? I want you to get a big army to get... No, he doesn't say that at all, right? He says, I will reach out my hand, my mighty hand, and I will strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. And after that, then they will let you go. God promises Moses the power of his mighty hand. If God sends us on a mission, surely he will give us the power to accomplish it. And this is, this is what we see over and over in the New Testament, is God commissions us to go and to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth, he promises that he will give us power and to be able to do that through his Holy Spirit. 
Luke chapter 24, Jesus says to his disciples, you are my witnesses. Okay, so you're going to spread the gospel as my witnesses, but stay in the city. So don't do it yet. Don't go out yet. You're going to be my witness, but stay here. Why? Because you need to wait until you are clothed with power from on high. We ought not get ahead of God, right? You need to wait until you're clothed with power. And from It's evident here from this passage that, that God's power is essential to accomplish the mission. If we try to do it on our own, we will not succeed. Again, we see in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses to Jerusalem, to the, all of Judea, and to all Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And of course, we see in Acts chapter 2, on Pentecost, the church is filled with the Holy Spirit. And what happens? A fisherman stands up by the name of Peter and proclaims the gospel, and thousands come to know Christ. And the church is born in that moment because they waited for the power on high. They listened, and they obeyed, and they prayed for it, and, and God fulfilled his promises. And through the rest of the book of Acts, you can read about the Spirit empowering believers with boldness to proclaim the gospel to the end of the earth. And now, they, definitely there's miracles involved with that, but I think the primary way that God empowers his people to take the gospel to the end of the earth is, is by providing them boldness. And we're going to talk more about that next week, but today I, I, would, I would encourage you, would you commit with me to pray that God would give us more boldness to be able to proclaim the gospel? We need that right now. When, when the disciples did that in Acts chapter 4, what happened? The whole place started shaking, and God fulfilled his promise to give them power, and they, they were, the, the, their fears melted away, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. The final benefit of God being with us that I want to talk about is that he provides above and beyond what we need. He gives us provisions to marvel at. And so, again, God's fulfilling his promise that he gave back in Genesis chapter 15 here. When the Israelites are finally released by Pharaoh, he says that you're going to plunder the Egyptians. Okay, that's a promise that was given back in Genesis 15. But notice how the plundering will happen. I think this is really interesting. Uh, typically, when, when I think or when we think of plundering, we think of an army storming in and taking a city, there's bloodbath, right, and... Once the, the, the people that occupied the opponents that were in that city, either they, they flee, they run away, or they surrender. Once that happens, then the army is free to plunder, to take whatever they, they want. That's what we think of when we think of plunder. But in this situation, the Egyptians willingly give up their stuff to the Israelites. I think that's hugely significant. Look back at verses 21 through 22. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, and you, you shall not go empty, but each woman shall ask of their neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing, you shall put them on your sons and on your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. God completely reverses the attitude of the Egyptians towards the Israelites. I mean, this is miraculous. I mean, these are the same people that were willing to throw their babies in the Nile and put them into slavery. And now, because God changed their hearts, they have found favor in the Egyptians' eyes. And they're voluntarily giving up their valuables. Instead of 
having to win the spoils through some kind of bloody battle, it would simply be given to them for the asking, peacefully. It's because God fought for his children, and he still fights for us. He's provided everything that they would need to get to the promised land, to go through the wilderness. This is the power of our God. Only God can change hearts like this. And this is so encouraging because this means that there is no enemy that we will ever encounter that God can't in an instant change their heart to favor us. There's no enemy that is outside of his control. So let me end with this. I want you to imagine with me just for a moment what the church, not just Mercy Hill, but the church at large would be like today if we truly embrace the reality that God is with us and that God is for us. Imagine the boldness that we would have in sharing the gospel that with everybody that comes across our path as we remember that is God is in the business of changing hearts. Imagine the energy we would have to labor for the gospel as we rely on his power rather than our own. Imagine the peace that we would have in the midst of trials knowing that God is watching over us. Imagine the hope that we could spread as we trust in his promises and we look forward to heaven. Imagine how powerful our worship would be as we celebrate the great I am rescuing us from slavery by redeeming us with the blood of his only son. I want us to pray that God would help us to embrace the reality that God is with us and he is for us. Father, often we confess it, we struggle embracing the reality and the promises that you've given us, that you are with us, that you are for us. We struggle and get distracted by things of this world. And so, Father, we plead with you that your spirit would infiltrate our hearts and change our hearts, that we would fully embrace your presence that we would feel your presence, that we would know deep down in our core that you are here, that you care for us, that you watch over us, that you have promised us a future that is beyond our imagination where one day all of our tears will be wiped away. Help us to embrace that you will provide everything that we need. Maybe not everything we want, but everything that we need to fulfill the mission that you put us on.